down in three. Quick throw. What a catch. Samuel stays upright. Terrific catch and run. One-on-one with Ramsey. Can't bring him down. Samuel. Highlight reel. Touchdown. Entertainment capital of the world. Kirk Cousins back to throw on fourth and 18. He's given time. He wants Jefferson. Climbs the ladder. Oh my goodness! It's the TC Martin Show. 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 First and 10 for Mahomes. Pressure and he sacks. First one of the day, and it's Bosa who gets home. TC Martin. TC Martin. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. He is electrifying. TC Martin. Is this for real? Oh my goodness. Can he do it twice? TC Martin. Can you believe it? Even a little Dion strut to the end zone. Wednesday, <laughs> middle of the work week, hump day, call it what you want, and we got plenty of football on tap to talk about today. Yes, from the college side, from the NFL side, right here, T.C. Martin Show, here on a Wednesday, coast to coast, border to border, wherever you may be, we're being invaded from Curacao today, my good friend, Big Al Lorenz is in the house today, so uh, be here for about the next week or so, so it'll be good, we'll get some... Uh, some Big Al time, some Big Al sightings. And Guru, what's going on? And plenty of food too, Doc. <laughs> you got that right. Bring on the food. Oh, you bring like on the a, bring on the variety of menu items. You're like known all over the world now as a foodie because you're traveling with the aces and you're going to, here, you're going there, you're going every place else. You've left your mark all over the country, Doc. Oh, I love it. I love it. What'd you bring back from Curacao? <laughs> In the flesh, baby. <laughs> What is the food of choice at Curacao? That's what I want to know. Lots of fish. Yeah. Ch- a lot of chicken, a lot of fish. Not, yeah. not so much uh, beef or steak or anything, but there are a few good steakhouses. See where Nunchuck's mind goes automatically? He gives you the NWC theme song. There it is. Reincarnated. The great tag team of yours truly. And the guru of professional wrestling, Big Al Lorenz. Well, thank you very much. We were years in front of ourselves, Doc, unfortunately. And, <laughs> you know... Just wish it could have lasted a little longer than it did, but it's going on 30 years already, T. Unbelievable. It's crazy. Unbelievable. So I actually have a question. Yes. In Curacao, is there a good Chicago dog? <laughs> Absolutely not. What are you talking Not do, even close. Do you understand just because Curacao and Chicago have the first letter and the last letter are the same, but they're nowhere near the same. I, d- I just wanted to know if there was a place that had what, a good... 6,000 miles apart? I just wanted to know if there was a good place yeah. that had a dog. Yeah. Like it's that. About, no, it's about 3,500 miles, but uh, <laughs> I stopped and got, I stopped before I came to the studio, Numbjuck, of course. Where do you get the best Chicago dogs? Freddy's! There you go. <laughs> they're lining up, baby. All right. Uh, Big Al, glad uh, you could be here, my friend. Uh, always. It, Big Al doesn't get here that often, so it's, uh, it, it's uh, very good to see you here, my friend. There you go. All right, uh, today on the show, uh, a lot of football to talk about. Like we mentioned, we'll talk Raiders today. The Raiders get ready to take on the Jets Sunday night football at Allegiant Stadium. And Lincoln Kennedy will join us, the fine former offensive lineman of the Raiders and also the University of Washington. We'll talk about uh, those two identities or entities, I guess, uh, from Lincoln Kennedy when he comes on the show with us today. Of course, talk a lot of Raiders. And of course, Link does a fantastic job on the Raiders radio network. So we'll get uh, his thoughts on the game coming up and all. Obviously, the coaching change and everything else that uh, has happened with the Raiders over the last week or so. But we start today talking a little college football with the guru of college football, our guy from ESPN, who is... In Bristol, Connecticut, as we speak, getting ready to hit the airwaves in less than an hour. But first, he's going to join us, the one and only Trevor Maddich. What's up, brother? Hey, TC. I'm, uh, everything is good. It's busy. It's a frenzy. It's a blur. And it is tremendous fun. 
It is. It's a it's a frenzy for you because you've got basically college football just about each and every night uh, there at ESPN, and then of course the huge weekend. And Trev, as we uh, inch closer to uh, December, that means we're getting closer and closer to bowl games. We're getting closer and closer to college football playoff, and of course every game down the stretch right now in college football uh, has a great meaning, must win situations, and we're having log jams at a lot of these conferences right now. Yeah, and, and that's what makes it so much fun. I mean, you've got two teams still that could come out of the Pac-12 and make the playoff. You've got only one team that can really make the playoff out of the ACC, although Louisville has one loss, and it's very it's possible that if they get a little bit of help, Louisville could uh, end up being in consideration for the playoff. You know, you've got a couple of teams, or just really one team now, that Big 12, Texas is the only team that really has a chance to get there, but there's, there's potential tremendous chaos if Texas wins out and if Alabama wins out. Because if Texas wins out, they will be a one-loss Big 12 champ with a win at Alabama. If Alabama wins out, they will be a one-loss SEC champ. There is no way that the committee can get away with it to put Alabama ahead of Texas in the final uh, ranking if they're both one-loss conference champions and Texas has the head-to-head on Alabama's home field. But if that's the case, does Alabama make the playoff at all? Because you could have an undefeated Washington and an undefeated team out of the Big Ten, and then you have Texas and an undefeated Florida State, and does that mean Alabama is competing for the fourth playoff spot and the SEC might get left out? I mean, there's all kinds of crazy chaos scenarios that are cooking right now. It is, and hopefully this will be the last time that we have to have this type of conversation because we've had it for the past 20, 30 years. Uh, you know, going back to the old BCS days where we had to argue about the top two. Now we're arguing about the top four. But thank goodness, Trevor, finally people have come to their senses after all these years and we get ourselves a real playoff with 12 teams. Still don't believe we need 12 teams. I'd be totally fine with eight. But uh, from here on out, after this year, uh, these type of conversations won't be taking place. Yeah, and the 12 teams, you'll have most likely the top four, uh, if not the top two, uh, have have a bye the first week. So it'll kind of feel like it'll be a top eight um, kind of thing. Uh, and then it'll kick back in again and start over again. Uh, but yeah, that'll, the good thing about that is it'll do what this year is. Right now, this year, every conference, every region of the country has a team, at least one, that's in the hunt for the playoffs here as we, as we're in the middle of November, heading towards the middle of November. And in recent years, it's been too common for the Pac-12 to be out of it by the end of October, for the Big 12 to often be out of it by the end of October. And those fans are basically looking at a regional race with no national implications. And so, National broadcasters don't talk as much about those teams because they want to talk about the teams that are still in play for the playoff at a national level. And this year, everybody all across the country still has local teams they can root for, regional teams they can root for. When the 12-team playoff rolls around, it'll be that way every single year instead of an occasional odd year like 2023. All right, Trev. uh, What... A lot of national broadcasters and a lot of media are talking about, though, is really not stuff that's taking place between teams in game situations. As you know, it's this Michigan situation right now. The sign-stealing scandal or whatever we are calling it. I don't know if it has an official name, but this story is gaining steam by the day. Uh, we know that the allegations are there. We know the Big Ten uh, wanted a response from the University of Michigan by today uh, regarding, okay, you have all these allegations. We want to hear what you guys are saying. What is your reasoning? What is your excuse or whatever it is? Uh, I know you've been following this, so why don't you give us the latest on where we stand right now with this situation? Well, the latest is Michigan has indicated they're going to play hardball. They've hired a high-powered national law firm that's based in Washington that uh, has represented people against the NCAA in the past. And so they understand sports law. Now, this is against the Big Ten that they're talking about because the Big Ten and the NCAA have two independent, um, you know, pathways 
to investigate and to punish. And the NCAA is notoriously slow. I mean, incredibly slow. It could be years before they do anything. So there's a lot of pressure on the Big Ten to step up and do something right now. The commissioner of the Big Ten is authorized by himself with no other support to uh, declare somebody as having, or an organization as having had unsportsmanlike conduct and suspending the head coach for two games. Anything more than that, he would need to get help from or, or approval from an executive committee. And then beyond that, in terms of vacating wins or a postseason ban or something like that, then things start to get ugly. Michigan sent a letter, their lawyers sent a letter to the Big Ten office saying, look, we understand you're, you're investigating this, but we, we demand that you respect due process. And typically, according to the bylaws, or at least one reading of the bylaws in the Big Ten, as they investigate things, if the NCAA initiates an investigation before the Big Ten does, the Big Ten is supposed to wait until the NCAA finishes before they take any action. And so right now there are high-powered lawyers involved, and this thing could get extremely ugly. It also could get ugly, TC, from a standpoint of mutual assured destruction. Because, you know, it wouldn't surprise anybody if a whole bunch of information came out that teams all over the country were doing what Michigan is accused of doing, which is to say, you know, having advanced scouting on site at upcoming opponent stadium and using electronic means, meaning cameras, to record signs and things like that. That is strictly prohibited by the NCAA. So what Michigan has done is they've apparently, according to published reports, sent information, what they think is evidence, that Ohio State and Rutgers colluded with Purdue, who played Michigan in the Big Ten championship game last year, by sending Purdue information about Michigan's signs. (laughs) So typically, if, if a school or a coach is busted doing something that a whole bunch of others are, are doing, you don't tend to see that coach say, oh, yeah, let me start pointing fingers. But it looks like Michigan might be trying to do that to muddy the waters. That's what the appearance is. So I think ugly is the operative word here. It's going to get ugly. Trev, where do you stand on this? Again, you've been covering college football forever. You played it uh, at the highest level. Sign stealing, as we know, has been around Forever. We go back to baseball, we go back to football, basketball, and basically it was usually applauded or an art in, in really under the term of gamesmanship. But of course, you know, it got a lot of attention with the Astros and the sign stealing and the electronics and this and that. And what we did find out that other teams were doing this as well. And like you said, you know, other teams could be, uh, doing the same type of thing that Michigan was doing. But, you know, we had the, the deflate gate going back with the Patriots and that situation. So this is really a tense subject for a lot of people, especially the, the non sports media or the casual sports fan or whatever. I want to know what, how big of a violation do you think this is and how much of a true advantage is it? And what are teams doing with this information? Because I, I'll take the other side and say, well, listen, you still have to stop the other team. You still have to score the other team. And people, you still have to score these points. And yet, you know, you're still, it's still, you know, competition amongst, you know, 22 individuals, you know, on the gridiron here. Right. So people are saying that, well, Michigan would have not won these games. So they wouldn't have won by these margins. As I'm saying, oh, wait a minute. Michigan still has the top players uh, in the country. They're in the, the top two or three recruiting classes year in and year out. They haven't really played a very tough schedule. They're blasting these opponents not because of they may know, you know what their defensive alignments are or plays are or that sort of thing. They're beating these uh, teams like Purdue by 40-plus points because they're just that good. So kind of give me your take on all this. Well, there's a, there's a lot to unpack in this whole thing. You know, you talk about the, you know, allegations that, uh, or Michigan says they had evidence that Ohio State and Rutgers gave their signs to Purdue. Well, I've been told that the Big Ten doesn't have any bylaws that prohibit that. You know, what, what, uh, what the alleged violation is at the core for Michigan is an NCAA, NCAA rule. I don't know what the Big Ten says about this, that says that you can't go scout in person at opposing stadiums 
and especially you can't use electronic means as, as a part of that scouting. And so uh, Rutgers and Ohio State, to my knowledge, have not been accused of that part of it in violating a, a bylaw. So uh, there's a lot of things that will get fans inflamed depending on what side they might be on, that really lawyers are the ones who really understand what the, what the rule really is. When it comes to the advantage that it may have, the potential for the advantage is enormous, just absolutely enormous. Let's, because if you have an idea, if you know what the sign means, then you can signal in a play, offense or defense, that can stop that play. And that gives you a huge advantage. And where you would kind of know as an opponent is if the, the, let's just say your offense is calling plays that go kind of with your tendencies and the defense is calling defensive plays that, that anticipate your tendencies. Well, okay. That, that's kind of normal. But then if you start calling plays that go counter to your tendencies that you haven't shown before and the defense is right there with you, then, then it's a huge advantage for the other side. And it's not just a matter of Michigan being better, because they are better than most teams. It's whether or not the other teams should have a fair chance. I mean, I hear so much that the Michigan players shouldn't be punished for this if all this turns out to be to be true and proven. And the Michigan players don't have any anything, um, you know, to do with with what this guy Stallions is alleged to have done. But at the same time, if it was used to give them an advantage. The Michigan players were beneficiaries of it. And they're not the only players on the field. There's opponents on the field that deserve an opportunity to have a fair competition. And the way I look at it is that if you, if you don't take steroids or performance enhancing drugs and you're competing against somebody who's getting away with it somehow, maybe they have a great doctor or a new drug or whatever, they're getting away with performance enhancing drugs and you've got to compete with them even though you're not. Well, that's not fair. That's not right. And I've got no problem with those guys getting suspended because it's not fair to the guy who's doing it the right way. And I see it this way. If it's true, and I, again, I want to do this with a caveat because, you know, we, we have to get proof. But if it's true that Michigan had a decided advantage because of sign stealing, then whether or not they're better is completely and absolutely irrelevant. The only thing that matters is they had an unfair edge and they took away from the other team an opportunity to compete in a fair manner. Now, does everybody try to do this? It is perfectly legal and perfectly ethical to try to steal signs during the game. You're across the field. You're watching their signs. You pick up on it. Off you go. Have at it. That's not what Michigan's accused of doing. They're accused of advanced scouting with electronic means and then matching those up so that they could use them for play calling in the booth. I will also suggest this, okay? that there's this thing called check-recheck that fans need to know about. So let's say the offense is on the sideline, They excuse me, on, uh, on the field. They don't huddle. They line up. The defense deploys. The coach on the sideline for the offense see how the defense is set up, and he signals in a, a new play to the offense based on what the defense has done. A lot of times while that's happening, you'll see the defense look at their sideline. And their coach will signal in a new defensive call, anticipating what the offense checked to from what they saw you originally deployed to in that formation. So the offense will check and the defense will recheck before the snap, right? And so what this is doing is it's using that check recheck without having to anticipate, but with knowing what the other side is going to call. And so it, it, it can be enormous. There may be other teams doing it. It doesn't matter. If Michigan was doing it and they're playing the lowliest team in college football, they gave themselves an unfair advantage, and the Michigan players, though they're not guilty, were the beneficiaries of it. He is Trevor Manich, ESPN College Football, and our guy here as well, too, talking about the Michigan sign-stealing scandal. So it looks like there's video, there's cooperation. Uh, Michigan has has fired uh, Stallions, the guy who's guilty of all this. Okay, we, we see all this. So we, we if this is true, and we, we use the term alleged here, okay, what should be the correct punishment here? Because as you say, it's all over the place where, okay, Jim Harbaugh should be fired. We should be eliminating victories here by Michigan this year. We should 
Um, not allow them to go to the college football playoff. There's penalties. There's fines, suspensions. What is the correct punishment for something like this? You know, that's a tough one, TC, because if it's proven to be true, and it's proven to be true before the end of the season, then it really should be vacate all the wins and vacate all the losses of the teams that they beat. You know, vacate that Michigan loss and postseason ban. Because if they had an advantage in these games, maybe that was the advantage that got them to the postseason. Or maybe they were dominant enough that the committee put them into the top four instead of just outside of the top four because part of what the committee looks at is how well you dominate a game from start to finish. And Michigan has been dominating games from start to finish like nobody else this season. I'm not saying that it's because of sign stealing, but I'm saying that if sign stealing was proven to be involved in that, that factors into that domination, factors into the committee's um, calculations. And so if it's proven to be true, you can't allow it. But at the same time, you look at Major League Baseball, the Astros, where it was, it was incredible what they did with sign stealing. I don't think there's any doubt that it helped them win the World Series. You can correct me if I'm wrong, because you were at a lot of those games. Um, and they got to keep the rings. So I, I don't know that anything will happen to that draconian uh, effect. But I will say that as a player... If I'm competing against a guy taking performing performance enhancing drugs and I'm not, and let's say that whole team is, this is hypothetical. The whole team's taking performance enhancing drugs and we are not, then that team should not be rewarded for beating us or beating us as badly as they would. Should that be the thing that happens because they had an edge that we didn't have because they did something that was banned. And it's hard for me to get off of that point I'm kind of sick to my stomach to say it, that Michigan shouldn't be in the postseason. But as an individual player on the field who has to beat the Wolverine in front of me, I'm fine with that guy beating me straight up. But if that guy had an edge that I didn't have, and it was an unethical, illegal edge, if it was, then uh, as a player, I can't get around that. What about if you are that player, though, uh, that's wearing the maize and blue that had nothing to do with any of that stuff, and you've worked your tail off, and you're part of a a great football team that deserves to be there? How do you feel if you're on that side of it? Well, here's who I'd be mad at. the um, If it's true, mm-hmm. if the Michigan coordinators used information from illegal sign-stealing to help them call plays, if the head coach knew about it, all that stuff. And by the way, the head coach doesn't have to know about it. He is assumed to know everything that's going on in his program. But for this discussion, assuming all that to be true, I'm a player. I don't know that. No one's telling me that. I think my coaches are better than the other coaches, and I think I'm beating the guy in front of me, right? I'm a, I'm a blitzer. Right. And my coach keeps calling the right blitz to put me right at the point of attack every time and faster than the blocker can get there. I think my coach is great and I think I'm executing at the highest level. Not my fault, but I am the beneficiary. And I would be mad, not at the rule. I would be mad at Connor Stallions and I would be mad at my coaches if it's proven that they did this because if it's proven that they did this, it would not be the Big Ten or the NCAA that harmed these players who are innocent in all this. It would be those principals involved in gathering and utilizing this information. Those are the people that I would be mad at. I would be like, how dare you? How dare you put me in a position to where all my effort can be erased because you did something that's against the rules? You don't want Trevor Matt. I don't want Trevor Matt. No, don't, no, don't, no. You don't want Trevor Matt. Never. Never. It, no. That poor coach would have no shot. Never. <laughs> yeah. Final thing on this. Um, you mentioned the committee. We know the committee is there's so many, so much subjectivity to who are those four teams going to be. Does that committee 
kind of blindly, silently hold this against Michigan when it comes time to voting and either puts them down a slot or two or maybe doesn't even incorporate them, especially if they do have a loss at the end of the season? They had better not. Mm. They had better not take this into account into how they evaluate Michigan. Because right now, these are still allegations. There's a lot of smoke. There's a lot of sparks. There seems to be a fire in some areas because it seems like there's a lot of a paper trail uh, of this guy Stallions going around the country. And there's video of Stallions and the guys that he's brought in to help him do this, uh, allegedly. Uh, there's video of them with their phones up videoing future opponents in you know, advanced scouting stadiums kind of a thing. So the, the, there's a lot of stuff going on where you could, you could jump to the conclusion right now and chances are very good. You'll be right. Here is the problem with doing that. If you're the committee, you are now convicting on the allegation without hearing Michigan's side of the story laid out in full. You must not convict on the allegation without hearing the other side of the story laid out in full, because that would open an ugly door. The committee is not supposed to do that. It doesn't look like they really have done that because they've got Michigan at number three right now, which is where they had them last week. And that is probably where they ought to be based on the combination of their play and their resume. They just haven't played anybody yet. They've got one of the weakest schedules in the country so far. It's about to get a lot tougher with Penn State coming up this week and then Ohio state in a couple of weeks. So I have a chance to, to prove it against better competition, but number three seems to make sense. It doesn't seem like the committee has downgraded Michigan because of this allegation and they should not do that. They haven't yet, but as this, uh, you know, story continues to, to, to grow, other stuff leaks. And again, as we get closer to the finality of who the four teams are, never know. Uh, I hope you're right. You know, like I said, but man, uh, there's a lot of uh, variables within this uh, crazy scenario. Is this the path that can lead or finally leads Jim Harbaugh exiting his alma mater and back in the NFL? Yeah, I don't see any way that he stays. I just don't see any way that he's still with the program next year. He's already got the level two, which is lesser violations um, in dealing with a, a recruiting visit and stuff like that. Not a big deal. Uh, having to do with a hamburger, and then he kind of was a little misleading to the NCAA, so allegedly. So anyway, so so that's still ongoing. This could be really huge. The negative recruiting uh, that Michigan will face because of this from opposing teams will be enormous. The the stain on the reputation of the university if he is proven to have cheated or proven to have presided over. Uh, an organization that was proven to have cheated, if that proof comes to light, then uh, I just don't see any way that he stays. Then the question is where in the NFL he might go. And I think he would be valuable in the NFL because he's already been valuable in the NFL with the 49ers. You know, he led them to the Super Bowl um, when he was there. And he uh, he was great at Stanford, great at Michigan, but, but Super Bowl with the 49ers. And I don't think the NFL really – cares too much about problems at the college level, although I have heard some speculation that the NFL might consider um, honoring a coaching ban if the NCAA applies that to Harbaugh. So that's a thing that could be a fly in the ointment, but, but right now it's way too early to tell. Let's talk about, uh, real quick, Trevor, the games this weekend. And going back to the Pac-12, that conundrum we got over there, we got Washington undefeated, 9-0. They had that narrow victory against Oregon. Then you have Utah and USC, the complete spoiler, coming up here. And as you know, we are hosting the championship game here in Las Vegas, and we it could be a great one. But when you look at the standings, look where everything is at, and still the games left to play with all of these contenders, it's crazy. Who's going to end up in the... Pac-12 championship game here in Vegas. Got any idea? Yeah, I, I kind of think it's going to be Oregon against Washington. I think Oregon wins. Um, and I think Oregon goes to the playoff. And I think Washington does not, is what I think. Um, Washington, what an incredible offense. 
um, especially passing offense. They're, they ran for, I think, over 300 yards. They ran for a ton of yards against USC last week, but their running game isn't quite that good. USC's defense just opened the gate by just being in the wrong place all the time. USC, um, their defense is is um, kind of abysmal, not because of talent, but because of the way they play. They just, <laughs> excuse me, USC would, would fight to, to get to the football instead of fighting to get to their assignment. And in doing so, they would be out of their assignment and open the gate. So Washington, I think, is, is quite good, but they're not as good as they quite seem. Their defense is very vulnerable. Stanford lit them up a couple of weeks ago. So um, I think Oregon beats Washington, and I think that's going to be the scenario. Right now, Oregon's playing as good as any team in the country. And so if they continue that, then they'll be fine. They, I, I expect, unless USC's defense all of a sudden um, grows a – grows the ability to be in their assignment every play, then Oregon's just going to annihilate that defense. And so it's going to be, I think it could be a long day for USC. Now, USC did get rid of their defensive coordinator. And I don't know, again, if that's going to mean anything where all of a sudden uh, they flip the switch. Because what is crazy about this is we know, I mean, they've got, you know, high school All-Americans and, you know, on that defensive side of the ball as well. But it just points to Lincoln Riley, doesn't it? Because isn't this deja vu of his teams at Oklahoma? Great offense and suspect defense. And then that I thought that was supposed to change when he got to USC, and that hasn't changed at all. It's just been probably even more magnified. But, you know, we're talking about these two teams and got games this weekend. It's, It's USC and Oregon and Utah and Washington. And I know that not many people are giving USC a shot at Oregon, and probably not too many people are giving Utah a shot at Washington can you make a case for either one of these dogs here, Trevor? Uh, the case for USC is that with the new defensive coordinators, and they've got two defensive coordinators now, so it's a pair, that they will tell the guys, look, USC's emphasis has been on havoc plays on defense. In other words, sacks and takeaways and tackles for loss. And so, you know, they, I think they're going to tell them, don't worry so much about the sacks and, and all that stuff. Worry about getting to your assignment and let the big plays come to you. That's actually what Ohio State did um, this year compared to last. Last year, Ohio State had a new defensive coordinator, and they were attacking at the line of scrimmage and were mostly great, except when they weren't. And when they'd miss a tackle on the back end or if a running back busted through the, the line, there was nobody back there to contain a breakout. And last year, they were one of the worst teams in the country at giving up defensive plays uh, of 40 or more yards. This year, Ohio State changed the emphasis from attack at the line to make sure we don't give up big plays. And so they don't get as many sacks and things like that, but they just had their first 40-yard play, I think, last week that they gave up. It was zero up until last week. They're not giving up big plays anymore, and their points per game allowed was cut in half. And it was just because of the emphasis, same players. So the case for USC is that they do the same thing and they can get it done this week. Tell the guys, we're not going to reward you for going and getting the quarterback in the ball. We're going to reward you for staying in your gap. So that's the case for them. The case for Utah is to play bully ball and just beat up Washington. The, you know, Utah played Arizona State this last week and they ran for over 300 yards. The Arizona State is not a, not a great team, not even a good team, but their defense is pretty solid. They're pretty good defense. And that defense held Washington to zero offensive touchdowns uh, a couple of weeks ago. Washington won that game because they, their own defense got a pick six. And that was basically the, the, the only touchdown that Washington scored as a team. And so Arizona State's not bad and Utah just housed them. So I think Utah is going to try to just beat up Washington and turn this into a an ugly mud fight. And if they can do that, then I think they have a chance to beat Washington. He is Trevor Manich, ESPN. He's getting ready to uh, to go do his TV thing. We appreciate that, Trev, uh, taking the time as always here on a Wednesday. And you you know a lot of times you got to go get fueled up, right? You got you got to get your you know you expend a lot of energy there, Trev. And you know we've seen the ESPN promos. And we've seen, you know, one of those, 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 uh, food room or cafeteria promos. How is the food over there? That's what I want to know. Do you hurt them pretty bad there? And, 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 uh, how do they, how does the food fare wind up there you know, the, at Bristol? It, uh, the, the people that do the food is they, they contract with an outside contractor to come in, you know, cause he, uh, ESPN does 
sports. It doesn't do restaurants. So they have these outside people come in. They've been there forever, and they do a magnificent job. The food there is fresh. It's tasty. There's good variety. It, it is absolutely wonderful. It's different since COVID uh, because it used to be just everything all open buffet style in a lot of ways and uh, and stuff like that, and they're still trying to work their way back to that. But it, it, they, they do do a good job of taking care of their people in every way they can, can take care of them. So everybody is uh, not just fueled up, but feeling rested and good um, to go on the air. There it is. That is our on-the-spot uh, college football and food reporter, Trevor Maddich. There it is. <laughs> All right. Take, take, now you know. Take care, brother. We look forward to talking with you on Friday. Get those best bets together. And there we go. Trav, I was thinking about you. Uh, it was the third song Friday night here at the Venetian. Earth, Wind, and Fire. And they busted out Fantasy. I think it was the third song. It's beautiful. And you gave me a weird version there, Nubchuck. If you're going to play Earth, Wind, and Fire Fantasy, you got to play Earth, Wind, and Fire Fantasy. What are you, you messing You know around? I always go crazy with him. I have that French version that I played that one time that you laughed at. This is this was called the the Groove Funkle version. Okay, at least it's Earth, Wind, and Fire. At least yeah. you're not giving me some hokey-jokey karaoke version. You know? That's all i got to say. Trevor Maddich, my guy. Take care of business. ESPN, of course, with us here as well. Lincoln Kennedy will join us next hour. We'll talk a little more college football with him, but a lot about the NFL and the Raiders as we continue on. Wow, Wednesday, middle of the week, work week, hump day. Bring it on. T.C. Martin Show. There's only one thing we know for sure. The Giants of New York took on the Packers of Green Bay. The Dr. T.C. Martin. He was a most ripping victory by kicking an oblong ball made of pigskin to a big H. The doctor is now in. All right, back at the Westgate on Friday, our Friday home. Looking forward to that as uh, we get busy with our... Best bets, three best college plays, three best NFL plays. Come on out, see the show live, 2 to 4 p.m. Always a great time at Whiskey. And the food options, I don't need to tell you. Fantastico. Yes, the Westgate Las Vegas World Famous Superbook, non-smoking. Myself, Jay Cornegay in the house. Mark McMillan scheduled to join us as well on Friday. The former Eagle, the former Chief, and the former Roll Tide, baby. Yes, so... Fridays at the Westgate World Famous Superbook. And a substitute co-host. You think? Isn't that what it was supposed to be? Well, my substitute co-host is here today because I think he's in the lane 39 over at the uh, South Point on, on Friday at uh, you know bowling at 2.22 p.m., oh. right? Is that about right? Yeah, Friday, Friday afternoons. It's a mess. What? It's Pro Shop Day. Pro Shop. Pro. What the? What does Pro Shop Day mean? Getting work, getting ball work done, getting everything ready. You getting for your t- balls worked on? Absolutely. Okay. Numbchuck. <laughs> different venue, but yeah. same, same, yeah. same idea. Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, got to get everything ready. You got to perform at your top. You got to have the, the proper equipment. Big Al Lorenz in town. Not only the guru of professional wrestling, but also bowling as well, too. So you're in town for the uh, the Grand Masters uh, Poobah Championships, right? No, no. It's, yeah. it's called... What, a, what the Flintstones call yeah, it's it? Called they, a, yeah, Grand Poobah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, no, it's the South Point. It's actually called the South Point Senior Shootout. The, the 50 and over guys are participating this week, and me being a super senior... Over sixty, we start on Saturday. I was, I was going to say, how'd you get into that? Did you have to forge some uh, some documents? No, no, chronological. Mother, you're not, you're father day, time takes. You're not a day over forty nine. What are you talking well, about? Well, thank you very little. But fa- father time, father time stops nobody. <laughs> <laughs> What's the competition like for these uh, uh, these tournaments like this? Well, there's 120 of the best senior bowlers in the world. How do you become one of the best? 
You practice. <laughs> Besides and practice, practice. And practice. But no, I mean, I mean, can anybody enter? Or you, or yeah, you can in, enter. I mean, in, you know, as, invite, as long as you... Invite E only? Or no, no, no. It's not by invitation, but yeah. uh, most of the guys that are that are participating um, were either on the PBA tour at one time yeah. or guys that are really very, very, very good in their home houses that never had a chance to go out on a tour. But uh, last year when I was out last year, oh. I look, get on my first pair of lanes and... I've got professional Mark Williams to the left of me and one of the greatest of all time, Walter Ray Williams to the right of me. Wow. Wow. So they're not messing around. No, they're not messing around. There it is. It's, 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 it's. What are you bowling these days? Pretty well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, give me a number. 220. What's your handicap? 220, 225. No. Oh, really? Uh, zero. No. Zero handicap? <laughs> no, no. No, no. 225? Yeah, 220, okay. 225. That's, that's what it's going to take to make money. So let me tell you something. Uh, I think of two things. Well, I think a lot of things with, with Big Al. Oh, there. Oh, nope, 710 split. I can see that right there. No, thank yeah, you. No. Um, two things resonate with Big Al. All right. Wrestling, obviously, because all of our days in the NWC and his wrestling knowledge, phenomenal. Okay. We had that in common. But when I was first started my national show, this man would call me. All right. And remember, I had the. The overnight shift was doing midnight to 6 a.m. And I'd be getting a call from St. Louis, from the Tropicana Lanes. Am I correct about that? Did I nail you it right? absolutely Tropicana. correct. <laughs> this guy managed a bowling alley, would have the doctor on in the, in the whole bowling alley, late night there, and he'd be, give, he would call religiously. And next thing you know, he's showing up, not just to come visit, but he's showing up with his bags, with his laundry, everything. I'm moving to Vegas. There it is. Well, like, did I get that story pretty accurate? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, give or take a, give or take a little. Uh, I was paraphrasing. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah. But uh, it's a little different sitting in this beautiful plush studio than it was at the old Continental Dock. The Continental. The, 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 the beautiful do you, Continental. Do you remember the Continental? You weren't here for the Continental. I was here for the Well, I really? wasn't. Yeah. I was here back and forth okay. for a while. Here's, so, here's yeah. some trivia for you. All right. The Continental. I used to do my show there, okay? They built the studio for me right there. Big Al comes rolling in, all right? Now, the brochures that they had for the Continental back in the day, oh, when they told me, hey, you know, you're coming to Vegas. We're going to put you up at the Continental. We're building a studio for you. I was in Sacramento at the time. You should see the brochures because, again, this is pre-internet, pre-online. You know, this is sure. you know, 1992. 19, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, boy, those brochures look, look wonderful. They look great. And, yeah, and, yeah. And, but the studio, I will say, top-notch job. They and, did the big, the and the biggest draw dump check at the Continental, yeah. besides TC, yeah. was having breakfast with Cookie Jar. That's right. <laughs> 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 yes, Cookie Jar playing late nights. Well, I'm doing the show, and there's Cookie doing his best Elvis impersonation, whatever. Well, yeah. Those are the days, man, the Continental. And I, I've never been inside that place since then. Now, I drive by it all the time, Silver 7s, but I don't think I've ever been in since I came back in, in, in 2015. But, uh, no, nah, tremendous radio studio. And we'd always say, oh, we're, you know, we're overlooking the strip. And actually, we're overlooking Paradise Road, right? Oh, right. Exactly. exactly. There, there. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Good stuff. Overlooking Yarko. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. Um, yeah. So big, big Al Bowling. He, bowling's big for you, man. Well, it, it's always been. It's, I've, yeah. I, I started bowling when I was like four years old. I mean, <laughs> and I've been doing it my whole life. And it's since I've had, you know, since I've slowed down and I can't do anything physically yeah. anymore as far as, yeah. you know, softball or anything like you that. You can't anymore. take a bump anymore? Is that what you're saying? I can still take a bump. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. That's, you know, preordained bump I can tell, still take. Tell, tell our, our great fans, especially our wrestling fans, the best bump you took in the NWC. We took yeah. a couple. Well, yeah, I took a couple of. Them. Well, uh, the the one is probably the, the the most infamous one. It's on it's on YouTube. Mm -hmm. It's part of Total Chaos. It's mm -hmm. part of everything. It was the Branding Iron match with the uh, the late Terry Funk. God rest his soul, mm -hmm. Terry. Yep. We miss you. And Virgil. Yeah. And Terry comes in and he. You know, for being a heel, he was an unbelievable crowd favorite. Everybody loved him. Living legend. Everybody, if you're a wrestling fan and you didn't know who Terry Funk was, you weren't a wrestling fan. The crowd going crazy for the heel. Virgil getting his heat from the from the local crowd, and which was good. You know, fantastic. He gets in the ring first, and here comes Terry with the with the lit branding iron. 
<laughs> now, the lit branding iron, when he'd get in the ring, he had rubbing alcohol in his mouth and he yep. blew it out to make the flame. Well, he got mad at me because I didn't have a drink for him to get the rubbing alcohol out of his mouth. <laughs> so he comes into the ring and T is announcing his entrance. He comes at T with the lit branding iron. Right oh, at yeah, him. he did. Runs right at him. Right at Runs him. right at Jesse Hernandez. That thing, that thing was inches from my face. I, I never felt that much heat. I never ever. seen you fly out of a ring faster either. Hey, I do. So now he do. comes and grabs me at the. I get up from the table. At the at the the announce desk, and, ringside, yeah, yeah, ringside there, and he's coming, and, and Terry's out of the ring. He's chasing out in the ring. Here he goes, here he goes out of the ring, coming after us. We finally get the branding iron out. The flame is gone. Now he's trying to pull chairs out of the front row and launch them at Virgil. It's crazy. Now it's total chaos. Sorry about the. the, the about the brand the brand name, but that's what it was. That's what it was. That's what we and it. the bell rings. Yeah. Immediately, Virgil puts Terry right through the table. I believe, wasn't that the it match too? Up, there were so many, but where the bell went into the crowd. Yes. <laughs> that's, that was the same match. It, it was the it, same it, match. He threw the bell in the crowd. He, he tried to grab the bell for me and he succeeded. It got launched. He turns the corner and I'm getting out of, I'm trying to get out of their, out of their way. Yeah. Unannounced. Big, big Al in the three-piece suit, by the way, too. Remember that. Unannounced, unprovoked, yeah. boom. Yeah. Lays me flat out on the floor. There it is. <laughs> I'm, if you get a chance to watch the clip, watch it on Tale of Chaos. Yeah. The front row was absolutely stunned. I took a hell of a bump there, Doc. You, you did. And and see that's the thing too that a lot of people realize they okay well you know it, it it's fake you know you you go you go and you take a bump but he laid into you pretty good right yes he did he did I got the I got the I got a, a very good elbow I hit the floor I that and that was concrete and you know it was <laughs> it's a silver nugget yeah. you know so a couple people in the front row a couple of older ladies they put their hands over the mop like he oh he killed him. I sold a bump too, Doc. You sold it, baby. You sold it. Got to sell a bump. Uh, unlike our our official timekeeper, Hugh Centron, who wanted no part of taking bumps. No, well, our well, timekeeper. He had the bell and he goes, hey, Terry threw the bell on the ground. What am I supposed to do now? And then he came and Terry, he headed for the exits. Well, he he took a powder because his because he had his mom with. You know, his mom used to come to the matches all the time, and and she didn't realize some of this stuff was, you know. They're coming after. They're coming after my son. Yeah. Wait a second. I, I, Terry, come back. Or somebody or whoever the heel was, come by. He, Tuck would usually get an elbow or two coming, coming back, going back out to the locker room from from Huey's mom. You don't have the com- you got raw footage there. You don't have the commentary. You don't have from Total Chaos. This is the TV Total show. Chaos. The video. No. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Match. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, terrible. Well, Terry Funk in the ring. He just spit fire. The living legend. Terrible, Terry. And he's chasing TC in the corner with the fire. And now he I wish he would have got you. And he's going to chase him around the ring. What's this fucker up to? He's a maniac. Doc, come out and help me if you would. I'm going to get up away from the table because this guy's chasing me around with fire. He's chasing everybody around. The living legend, Terry Funk. His finest. There it is. Take taking uh, the lead there. While I get back to the table. Outstanding stuff. Well, yeah, you got to. You know, no such thing as dead air in, in, in between the two of us, D. I mean, we've got enough. We've got enough lug capacity, so there's there'll never be any dead air. Uh, you can fast forward that if you want the the part where yeah, he. he Lays out Big Al. Good stuff there, man. It wasn't too long into the match. It was like a minute in. Yeah. And like I said, we ring the bell, and Terry's immediately on the outside, right through the table, immediately. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> For a guy that was his at, in, he was there in his early 50s mm-hmm. when he was doing that mm-hmm. T, that's just, it just he blows was. my mind. He was. At that age, yeah, I think was, he was 51. 52, that's at that point in time, uh, looked great. And, uh, you know, we talked a lot about him. The day after he passed, and yes. you joined me on the air, um, long distance, and it uh, is one of the best. I mean, there's no question. Legendary, iconic, uh, Hall of Famer, and as we've talked about with so many of those great wrestlers that we got a chance to work with, but that was the guy that um, 
I I almost viewed Terry. I did view Terry as almost kind of like the coach or the team captain. You know what I mean? Because he was always coming to us and you know offering either advice or ideas and that sort of thing. He would was so great to the younger guys coming up. And we've had Johnny Payne on. We've had some of these, you know, Rob Van Dam, all those guys who were young at the time would say the exact same thing. Oh my gosh, him, the Iron Sheik, uh, just tremendous. And again, two of our favorite guys both passed away this year. Yeah, that's unfortunate on, on, on both, both of you after we talk about Kazra too. But uh, mm. boy, oh boy, I mean, like you say, the locker room was just, just totally enveloped on those guys. And when they, when they stood up, and said something, or somebody asked them a question. It was like Merrill Lynch. Everybody's eye, everybody's eyes and ears just, yeah, yeah. Terry Funk said, mm. "Boom!" Right, and the whole locker room was just quiet, mm. and it was absolutely fantastic. It was always positive too. He yeah. was always encouraging the young guys. Mm. And he just let Big Al have it. He just, he's got Big Al by the hand, and he lays a big left. Big Al is down and down. Oh my God! We're gonna have to get paramedics over here. Big Al, my tag team partner, my broadcast partner is down and out. The Funkster's gone wild. He's going after Virgil. He went after Big Al, and now he's going to the Athletic Commission table. He picks Virgil up, and the bell is is in the crowd. Some kids playing with the bell. This is unbelievable. This is shocking. Hey, I never told you that was me. How about that? How about that memory of? of it just hit me today when you're t- giving the story, because I knew that Bell went into the crowd. I couldn't remember which match it was, and there it was. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And then, I mean, and then Numchuck comes up with it. But but it, it was me. It was you. It was me. It was that before or after you stole Cartwright's uh, hat at the parade. It was after. Yeah. Yeah. Because this was you uh, stole n- Bill Cartwright's hat at the parade. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> boy, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> we should take away. We should take away your like Chicago ticket for that. Right, right. Anything red, white, and blue. Oh, red, red, black, and blue, yeah. or red, black, and yeah, there's no and white. I yeah. mean, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> but you were you were actually in that mob scene. I went to the first three parades. No kidding. Wow. Yes. As a kid, and it was just and amazing. you survived, and I survived. He's a thief too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we come back. We're going to talk to Lincoln Kennedy as we talk uh, Raiders, NFL, one hour down, one to go. The guru of professional wrestling in the house, reminiscing, having a great time, uh, as always. We'll talk a little baseball as well, too. Oh, yeah, Cubs fans. Brewers fans. Kind of feel bad for you. That rivalry. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more coming your way here. Wild Wednesday, T.C. Martin Show. Yeah. 